Well, it's a joy to welcome you once again to Graceway Baptist Church. And we're so glad that you're a part of our ministry here and glad that you are watching this so that you can keep up with us and learn and grow with us, be encouraged by the things that maybe you didn't learn, but things that you're reminded of about God and about His Word and about the life of Abraham and the faithfulness. And so many times we talk about the faithfulness of Abraham. Well, that's good. But it's really more about the faithfulness of God over all of these centuries and over these uh, millennia, actually, since uh, God made these promises to Abraham. And uh, we are grateful that he is a faithful God and he's faithful to us and will be faithful and always is faithful. He cannot deny himself, the Bible says. So we're looking today at Genesis 17 again, but we're going to go uh, verses 9 through 16. We're going to talk about some very sensitive and painful things here. Have you ever heard a whole Sunday school lesson on circumcision? Probably not, but oh well, we're going to do it because it's in the Word of God and it's worthy of our consideration. And we need to understand the whys of, uh, of all of this. And um, here's our introduction. Abraham... I'm glad he finally has his name changed so I don't mess it up. Abraham had asked God for confirmation of the uh, promise given by God. Uh, think about Genesis chapter 15, verse 8, you know, where he says, I believe you, what are you going to give me to show me? Well, ah, boy, he probably regretted that request because uh, as the time approaches for Isaac's birth, God gives him a confirmation that he, God, will fulfill the promise by um, commanding the ritual of circumcision. You want a mark? You want a confirmation? You want proof I'm going to do this? Here it is. It's going to be surgical. Ouch. And it is a sign for Abraham, but also for all of his descendants, because this is going to be an intergenerational thing, uh, which must have given Abraham renewed hope okay so he's getting what he asked for what are you going to give me so that i know this is true and god says well here it is and so verse 9 let's pick it up and let's read and god said to abraham as for you you shall keep my covenant you and your descendants after you throughout their generations now this is my covenant this is the sign which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. Well, he probably wasn't too horribly bothered by that. And then verse 11 says, And you, and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and that shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. <laughs> Almost want to say, be careful what you ask for, right? Verse 12. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male child in your generations. He who is born in your house, meaning one of your servants, uh, or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh, for an everlasting covenant. 
and the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. In other words, if you're not going to go through with the covenant and the commands, you don't get to enjoy the blessings either, right? You're cut off from all of that, kind of a play on words there. And it says, he has broken my covenant. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, or Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and I will and also give you a son by her. Could that be any more clear? And she shall be a mother of nations. Kings and peoples shall come from her. Well, now we've got something here that, uh, like I said, when God first said this, you know, I want you to sac uh, circumcise, not sacrifice, circumcise all of your children. Okay, <clears throat> we can do that. That'll be tough, but they won't remember it. And then God says, yeah, well, this includes you. Okay, 99 years old, right? Uh, pretty amazing. And you know what we find in this story? He did it. He did it. And he did it that day. He didn't let any grass grow under his feet, did he? And probably because if he had, he wouldn't have done it. So let's look number one, and we find the purpose. I mean, why, why do this? What's the purpose of it? And um, God gives him all of that instruction. This is the covenant, and you are to keep this covenant. And so it identified those who were descendants of Abraham. It identified them. And it identified those who were supposed to be under the rule of God. And notice that God calls it not our covenant, my covenant, because he's going to be faithful to Abram's, Abraham's offspring. Now I did it again, didn't I? I went back to Abram. Uh, though he knows that they will not be faithful to him. However, there would always be a faithful remnant. And so these people that are identified by this particular covenant, they go through this ritual on the males, on the men, and this forever would separate them from everybody else. This is the purpose of it, to mark off, to identify these are under it, and anyone who doesn't go through with it, well, they're not. And we've already read about that. God said, this is the line, step across it, this is... Uh, what has to be done. Now, secondly, I want you to notice the permanence of the mark. This is not something that uh, can be erased. This is not something that can be changed. Once it's done, it is done. And it's every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin. And it shall be a, look at this, a sign of the covenant between me and you. So it's a permanent thing. God says it's an everlasting covenant. So it's a sign or it's an identifier. When we think about a street sign, the street sign, emphasize that word, identifies what street we're on. If you call 911, they'll ask you for your address and they want a street address. I've lived in the country before and I've lived in small towns where not all the roads were named. And as 911 became available to them, they were the city fathers were told, you've got to name these streets. Because when you want an ambulance, you can't just say like they would say 
in a town like Chelsea or Tuttle. Well, you know where the old Johnson place is? It's, it's a mile and a quarter north of that. You can't do that when somebody's life is on the line. You have to have a sign. Now, sometimes we think of signs in terms of like miracles or something that makes us believe. And that's accurate. In the Gospel of John, Jesus does certain signs. But even though they are miraculous, they are also identifiers. It's like they are putting a sign on Jesus. This is your true Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. In the same way, a sign identifies the street that you're on. It tells you you are on 40th Street, you're on 104th Street, as the case of the church might be. And so uh, the circumcision was a sign. You belong to God. You are of a race that has been chosen by God. You are descended from a man named Abraham, and that man had an agreement, a covenant with God. And the reason you exist, listen to this, the reason you exist is because of the faithfulness of God in the covenant that he made with Abraham. And circumcision was the sign of all of that. It's an identifier of the Jews. Now, to be fair, other cultures practiced this before Abraham, but here's the difference. It never had the same spiritual significance that it did for the Jewish people. And so it's a reminder of who they, the descendants of Abraham, are and uh, the God that they are to serve and the promised land of Israel that was given to them. Now again, they didn't always live up to their side. I mean, even after the Babylonian captivity of the kingdom of Judah, they go to Babylon and they're there 70 years and then the Persian king Cyrus says, okay, you can go back and you can rebuild your temple. But not all of them went back. They weren't faithful to go back to that promised land. And even after that, after the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and after they started calling it Palestine as an insult to the Jews because that's a derivative of the word Philistine. And you remember Philistines were enemies of Israel. So the Romans, after they destroyed it and dispersed the people, they didn't call it Israel. They called it Palestine or the land of the Philistines as an insult, almost like spitting on them. And so uh, they were dispersed throughout all of the nations. A lot of them lived in Europe. A lot of them lived in the United States. There was a time, may still be, I don't know, but there was a time when there were more Jews in Brooklyn, New York, than there were in the entire nation of Israel. And so some of the Jews have always been, uh, they didn't keep the kosher meals. They didn't keep the festivals. They didn't keep the moral law of God. But some did. There's always been a remnant and God has always been faithful to them. As we saw last week, he is going to redeem Israel. Now, this was such a permanent sign and the significance of it that you remember when Joseph was taken captive and he was by the, uh, sold to the Midianites, actually, and then became a slave uh, of Potiphar. You remember all of that? And you remember the series of events that he went through and he ended up in prison? Then uh, Pharaoh was told that Joseph could interpret dreams. So he gets Joseph out of prison, says, I had a dream. I don't know what it means. It's disturbing me. Tell me what it means. Joseph told him. 
and then he becomes the prime minister, the second in command of Egypt to administrate uh, all of the harvest and everything. And you remember that when famine came, Egypt was the only place that had plenty of food. And so Joseph's brothers come to Egypt in order to get food that they might survive. And by the way, in them surviving, one of them was Judah, and Christ would come from the tribe of Judah. So by saving Judah's life through the grain in Egypt, that was saving the bloodline of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's amazing how all of this fits together when you pay attention. And uh, when Joseph, when it came time for him to identify himself to his brothers, you will remember as you read about it, that uh, Joseph told everyone but the brothers to leave the room. Why would he do that? What is that, Genesis 45, I think? And some scholars think that what he did was he told, got, emptied the room and then showed his brothers that he had the mark of circumcision. I'm really your brother. I'm one of you. I carry the covenant of Abraham, the DNA of Abraham, and Isaac is, uh, 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 Jacob, pardon me, is my father, and Isaac was his father, and Abraham was his father. And no wonder they trembled and they were afraid when all of that happened. This was a permanent thing. Now you might think, well, that's, that's kind of cool. That identifies them like that. But... I want you to see, number three, this is something that is to be perpetual in verses 12 and 13. They do it on an eight-day-old baby, and uh, that baby will hurt, but he won't remember it, and that's kind of a blessing when you think about everything else that God commands here. And it's supposed to be for everyone born in your house, even your servants and any foreigner that is there or anybody that is a slave there temporarily to pay off a debt or something like that as the Mosaic law would kind of change the idea of slavery as well as those who were born into your house. Okay, you can get all that. So on the eighth day after birth, generation after generation, this is the procedure. This is the ceremony. This is the tradition that they were to do. And anyone who desires to be under the promised blessing, because everybody would want that, right? I want to be blessed by God. Well, if you want the benefits, you've got to obey the command and you've got to identify with them. Okay, now number four, and we'll spend just a little bit more time on here. It's also something that's problematic. It says in verse 14, And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Okay, so the idea is the Jews are going to want to do this. They've been commanded to do this, and this is something that starts with Abraham, and it continues on to this day. Now, we might look at that and say, well, good for them, good for them. But what are the problems that come up because of the idea of circumcision. Okay, let's talk about some of these. Uh, certainly it's problematic for those who refuse in all of that. If you want to be under the blessing of Abraham and be a Jew, you've got to do what God says, right? So if not, then uh, you're in trouble and you don't get the blessings. And it's kind of a play on word, but he says you're going to be cut off. Okay, 
You get the significance of all of that. So those who refuse and won't do that, then uh, there's a problem. And you'll remember Moses had married an Egyptian, Zipporah, I believe her name was, and they had children, and Zipporah did not want to do this ritual on them. And it caused tension and trouble between Moses and his wife, and finally to the point to where uh, she did it, and she threw the foreskins at Moses and called him a bloody husband, right? I mean, it doesn't sound like that got much better, did it? And so those who refuse, well, then you can't get the benefits if you're going to refuse that. And uh, that's, that's problematic, isn't it? But how about this, the next bullet point? It's going to be problematic in the future for those who obey. Now, there were times... In uh, Hitler's Germany and other times throughout history where there would be uh, Jews who would try to disguise themselves as Gentiles. They would not dress in typical Jewish dress. And you know, some Jews, depending on what sect they are in, they have those curly cue things coming down and a certain type of beard that they won't trim. Well, some of them would shave. And they would wear more Gentile-style clothing. And they might work even on their speech and their accent so that they would not be readily identified as Jews. They would eat uh, ham and food that was not kosher because they didn't want to die. And they had a motto. They called it Lechaim. And they would make toasts to that. Lechaim, to life. And the idea was you do whatever you can to survive. They're trying to kill us. And we'll do whatever we have to do in order to survive. Now this caused a lot of Jews to uh, come to the conclusion, if there was a real God, and if there was a real covenant, and we are the chosen people of God, then why have we been so persecuted? There are Jews today that will say, if the Bible is true, and if there really is a God, He never would have let the Holocaust happen like it did in Hitler. And Keep in mind, that wasn't the only Holocaust. You remember in the book of Esther, a guy named Haman, he had it on his mind to exterminate the Jews. And when you think about the times when the Babylonian Empire came in under Nebuchadnezzar and destroyed the temple, and all of the people that were thinking about the temple and its holiness and how only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies one time a year or else he would die. Remember that? And yet the Bible says that when the temple was destroyed, the Babylonians and apparently Nebuchadnezzar himself went in and they took all of the golden artifacts out of the Holy of Holies and they didn't die. How come God would kill a Jew in the nation of Israel who walked into there unauthorized, but he wouldn't kill a pagan uncircumcised Gentile that went in there? And so the Jews have looked at all of that over the years and said, well, this must be just a myth or a fairy tale and it can't be true and I'm not sure I would believe in a God who would allow all that to happen and put us through all of that. Well, if you remember, when God made His covenant with Abraham, He told him, I'm going to give this to your descendants. You're not going to actually inherit it, but your descendants will. But they're going to go through 400 years of slavery in Egypt before they do that. God has destined the Jewish people to suffer trouble. 
Now, what about all of those people that I talked about that would abandon their Jewishness? They might even marry a Gentile. They might start going to church. They might be baptized even. They might go through all of those things to eat food that they weren't supposed to eat and violate all of those things. Things that would make their ancestors roll over in their grave, right? Why were they doing it? Because we got to stay alive. If, we, if they find out who we really are, they'll kill us all and none of us will survive. Well, that's how faithless they were because God promised He was going to take care of them, but uh, they just didn't see it. So what would the Germans and other people do in order to know what was going on? And they would check to see if they were circumcised. And if you were circumcised, off to a concentration camp you went. Maybe you were shot on sight. It may be something like that. Maybe your family suffered and died because you were living a lie and you weren't wearing the gold star that identified you as a Jew. But that was one mark you couldn't get rid of. That was one mark that you couldn't cover up. So down through history, that was an identifier. Sometimes it would be an identifier that was good, that was positive, that brought blessing upon you in that way. And other times it was that thing where probably you were saying, please don't let them check. Please don't let them check. And then when they checked, you knew that you were in trouble because there was no way to reverse it. There was no way to change it. You were a Jew and that identified you as a Jew and it identified you permanently. And it was a problem when you look at it in certain contexts. And so this is why God gave it to them. And this is kind of an all or nothing kind of thing. You're either in or you're not. You're either faithful or you're not. And uh, this is um, what was happening here. And uh, it even caused trouble. Look at the next thing. In the early church. This was such an ingrained ritual upon the Jewish race. And you can see why. You can see why. And uh, even in the early church, Gentiles, as you remember from our study in Galatians, were getting saved. Praise God. And so people came from Jerusalem. And uh, you can go through all kinds of speculation as to how they found this out. It may have been just an assumption. I don't know. But when they found out that these male believers in the churches of Galatia were not going through the ritual of circumcision. These Jewish people that had come from Jerusalem who claimed to be Christians, but Paul said were false brethren, they just couldn't stand it. They said in order to be saved, yes, you've got to trust Christ, that's good, but he was a Jew, remember, and he upheld the law and fulfilled the law, and you must do it as well or you can't be saved. And so can you imagine these people that are Gentiles that have come out of paganism and idol worship. They've come into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been accepted and they have been baptized into fellowship in the church. They've been eating together in their love feasts and eating uh, Jewish food as well as Gentile food. And some of the Jewish believers were eating Gentile food. And they were all one and it was all great until these people came from Jerusalem. You've got to be sac uh, circumcised and you've got to keep all of the uh, rituals or you can't be saved. It's Jesus plus 
the feast. Jesus plus the surgery. Jesus plus the rituals or you can't be saved. Boy, it's a flat-out denial of the gospel of grace. It turned it into a gospel of works. You've got to do. You've got to obey. You've got to practice all of this or you can't be saved. Okay? So the early church, we got an entire book of the Bible, the book of Galatians, written about this because people were saying, if you're not circumcised, you can't go to heaven. You can't really be a Christian. Jesus started it, but you've got to finish it with this ritual. What a slap in the face to the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't really mean it, apparently, when he said, it is finished. He should have said on the cross, it is nearly finished, almost finished. It's close to being finished. And uh, then tell us, but you've got to make sure that the ball gets across the goal line for the touchdown, so to speak. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches at all. For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Right? That makes it clear. And Paul says in Galatians, we are free from the law because it's been fulfilled. And so circumcision or uncircumcision, that's not what matters to God. What matters to God is, are you in Christ? And if you're in Christ, you're going to heaven. If you're in Christ, you're going to be blessed by God. If you're in Christ, you're under the blood of the new covenant that Jesus spoke of at the Last Supper. You're secure in Him. He keeps you because He has given you His righteousness and He has obliterated your sin. And one day, think about this, folks. Because of Christ, we're going to go to heaven and we are going to attend the funeral of sin. And there'll be no weeping over that. There'll be no mourning over that. There'll be a shout and a celebration on that. Sin will be no more. And it's not going to be based on what we do or what we don't do, but what Christ has done for us. But for the early church, this is a problem. This is a controversy. So when we think about the importance of all of this, and we go back to the Old Testament, to Abraham's times, this is something that marked them off and identified them as partakers of the covenant and under the blessing of God. It also marked them off as enemies of Gentiles who wanted to destroy the Jews. Kind of a dangerous thing, isn't it? And yet we also find that uh, when we look at it, that even in the early church, it tended to be a problem as people took it further than it was ever intended to go. So the conclusion here, we'll wrap it up and, and say that... Um, for those who practice infant baptism, you know anybody like that? Presbyterians, Methodists, others who sprinkle their babies? Well, if you get, especially the conservative people who do that, they don't just do it by ritual, they really believe it is baptism. Well, it's not because the word baptize means to immerse. Enough said about that. And the evidence in the scripture, it was always they went into the water. They needed, the Ethiopian eunuch said, here is much water. What does hinder me from being baptized? So it wasn't by sprinkling. And it was always done in the Bible. Every single time it was clearly done by those who professed faith in Christ. A little baby can't profess faith in Christ. He can't repent of his sins. He doesn't even know what it is. But they say that baptizing babies is 
the New Testament counterpart, you ever heard this, to Old Testament circumcision. And so they sprinkle the babies, they christen them, or christen them, put them in the covenant of Christ, and now they say they are a child of the covenant. Now there's nothing in the Bible that indicates that in the New Testament, uh, but that's what they believe. And they say just like Old Testament Jews on the eighth day of their life, they were marked off as being a part of the covenant. That's what we're doing with our children. Now that caused problems for the Puritans because uh, they said, so are these little children who have never been converted and need to be converted? They still believed you must be born again, but these have been baptized and are part of the covenant. Are they saved or not? Are they a part of the church or not? What, what, what gives? And they came up with the thing they called, you can look this up, the halfway covenant. I mean, it gives them a lot of problems. And I can tell you why it gives problems, because it doesn't fit. It's a misinterpretation of those. Now, I admire a lot of people who believe like that. And we have a lot in common, and they do believe and preach the gospel, many of them, not all of them. Some of them, like Roman Catholics, actually teach that it's at your baptism that the process of justification starts. They don't believe that justification is instantaneous. It's a process, and this just starts the process, and it's necessary for salvation. Well, we certainly would disagree with that. But a lot of godly Presbyterians would say it doesn't save them, but it marks them off as being a part of the covenant. Well, I would uh, assert that actually the New Testament counterpart to circumcision would actually be the Lord's Supper. We take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ and what He has done for us, and it's more clear for us because it's in the Lord's Supper that Jesus actually said, This is my blood, and it's my blood of the new covenant for you. And that's what we do to remember and to remind ourselves. And every time in the Old Testament, the Jews would be reminded of their circumcision or of their covenant with God through Abraham. It was a constant reminder. And it's no accident that it was the male reproductive organ that was affected by all of that because it's all about reproduction and seed descendants from Abraham, right? But in the New Testament, we don't have that. But every time we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the covenant that God has made with us and for us in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we think about this outline that we have used in this particular lesson, does that not fit even with um, what we find in the Lord's Supper that happens? That we find it identifies us as believers? We find that it is a permanent thing for the work of God is always permanent, right? Uh, problematic. Yeah, sometimes it's problematic. The early church, they were uh, branded by the Romans as being cannibals because they're eating the blood and they're uh, eating the, the uh, flesh and drinking the blood of somebody. They didn't know what was going on. And that started an awful lot of rumors and persecution and things like that. So we can see some things that show us the uh, uh, parallels that are going on here. But I don't think it's baptism and the Bible does not teach infant baptism and the Bible does not teach baptism by sprinkling or anything at all. However, we have a new covenant 
And praise God that we do. And it's done in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So there you go. A lesson on circumcision. Everything you uh, probably didn't want to know about it. And uh, something that would be very, very painful. Can you imagine Abraham going to gather all of his servants and Ishmael and come together? I've got some news. I've met with God. First of all, my name has been changed. Call me Abraham now. And here's the other thing too. Everybody here, I mean, you remember how Oprah used to do that thing where they'd introduce some product and say, everybody here gets a car. Everybody here gets a you know, pair of shoes or something like that. Abraham would go... Everybody here that's male gets a circumcision. Well, that, can you imagine how that would go over like a lead balloon to use a cliche? So that's why and how and what happened. And uh, hopefully we understand that a little bit better now. Okay. So thank you again for your time. And I pray the Lord blesses you and blesses you as you teach this lesson. And may the Lord cause us to appreciate the covenants that He makes with people, especially ours, because it's made through the Lord Jesus Christ. And praise His name for the new covenant that we have by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ.